May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Revenge is a dish best served cold. Long before any of us ever heard that maxim, we knew what it felt like inside. We knew what it felt like in our very bodies to want to return pain for pain, embarrassment for embarrassment, humiliation for humiliation. Somewhere, at some time, everyone here has experienced that feeling of wanting to get back at somebody, wanting them to feel like you felt, to wipe that smugness off their face, kind of put them in their place and know, hey, this is what you did to me. How do you like it on you now? I mean, how does that feel? My mother tells the story of my, um, my older brother Jeff and I. We were, about, um, we were about three and four, respectively. He's about 18 months older than me. And I suppose that's when the time when the beatings began. You know, the beatings that come from an older brother. And, uh, and he, would, um, he would pick on me quite a bit. Anybody with an older sibling knows what this is like. We were rough and tumbly boys made out of worms and snails and puppy dog tails. So all of our altercations were always physical. We would always go at one another when we did, you know, swinging and whatnot. And my mom tells a story of, uh, of Jeff and I, about three and four years old. And, um, and we were in a dispute over something, probably property rights to a toy. And before the lawyers could arrive, um, fisticuffs broke out among two preschoolers. Uh, I think I got the um, rather bad end of that deal. He beat me up quite a bit, I, I suppose, as the story went. Uh, but my mother says that as soon as she broke us up, she said she looked at me and, and my face had turned so red that she thought my head was about to explode. And that I jumped up and I ran to the kitchen and grabbed the broom and came running back to my brother. And I landed blow after blow upon him, at which point he jumps up and takes off running. But my mother says I wasn't finished. And then I continued to pursue him from the kitchen into the dining room and then into the family room before she finally caught up with me, grabbed the broom out of my pudgy little hands and restored order to our home. It became known as the famous broom chase, still told in family lore to this day. Another situation occurred maybe four or five years later. My brother again wanted to rearrange my face for some reason. I don't know what it was. We were a little older now. The ground rules had been laid. He would punch. I would receive. Um, you know, it was sort of that, that event. Um, he was always bigger and stronger and older. It was never a fair fight. He's still bigger, older, and stronger. Still wouldn't be a fair fight. But um, in those days, it was even, it was even more unfair. And, uh, and so on this one occasion, um, uh, you know, he got the better of me again. And again, I think my face had turned so red I was about to explode. And so he went outside to play ball. That's what kids in my neighborhood did back in the day. We'd go outside and play. Um, and so he went outside and he went to play. And, um, and I stayed in. And I went and got the toolbox. And I went to his bedroom. I shut the door and began some high-level sabotage. <laughs> You see, Jeff had a a digital alarm clock radio he got that year. Now, I know it doesn't sound like much now, but back in the day, back in 77, a digital alarm clock radio, I mean, this was, was, you know, this was sweet stuff. And so um, 
He loved that radio. I mean, he loved it. It was digital. It was a radio. AM, FM. I mean, it was, it was the sweetest thing going, you know? And so um, I unplugged it, safety first, uh, and uh, took my, uh, my screwdriver and removed the top, pulled out, um, there were all kinds of little wires in there. I pulled out some little wire cutters, and I cut them all. Somehow, I didn't know this, but there were these little adjustable transistors that used to come in older uh, electronics. I took a little jeweler screwdriver and I turned them all. So that if he found a way to reconnect all the wires, it still wouldn't work. Put the lid back on, screwed it back in, took all the tools, put them back where they belonged, and went outside and joined the stickball game myself. It was a very dark week that week in the Boisel household. Very, very dark. Um... I think it was at that point that the Lord decided, I'm going to make you a priest because you know what? You, you think you're going to get even? Well, anyway, but, but you know what I did that week? I taught my brother a lesson. You can punch me, but I can punch back. You can hurt me, but I can hurt you as well. I am no one to be trifled with. Now, I have to tell you, he still beat me up after that day. But things got a little cleaner, you know. The fights got a little cleaner. There was a little bit more restraint, I noticed. My nose looks a lot better these days than it otherwise might have. And that's the thing about retaliation. Sometimes it works. Sometimes retaliation works. Sometimes people get a little bit worried about a proportional response. They might change the way they behave. Sometimes people might get worried about a disproportional response, and that might even encourage them more to behave in certain ways. Sometimes justice demands retaliation. If you let the evildoer off, it's almost like you're rewarding it, isn't it? I think Jesus, well, I know he was, and it's obvious here, an older brother. He didn't have an older brother. He was the eldest brother. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evildoer. Ego de lego humen e anastenai. Do not stand against him. Anastenai. Do not stand up against. We have an idiom that goes like this. Why don't you stand up for yourself? You've heard that, right? Stand up for yourself. This is exactly the word Jesus uses. You will not stand up against. In fact, it's an, he says it as a matter of fact. It's not a command. It's not, he's not saying do not. He says you will not. You will not resist. The command comes in the next verse. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, here's the command. You shall turn. Actually, you'll turn this way. You shall turn. If they get you on the right, you shall turn and let them have the left as well. No retaliation. No fighting back. No getting even. It works in other areas. Not just in in sort of hand-to-hand combat. If anyone sues you to take away your shirt, better translation, you're to give them your coat as well. At first glance, maybe Jesus is sort of being hyperbolic. I mean, who, after all, would sue a person for the shirt off their back? But you'd be surprised. It actually is a, is a, a permissible thing to do in Old Testament law to sue someone for the very clothes that they wear. You could, I mean, it was perhaps the only possession ancient people had with the clothes that they would wear. 
And so if someone owed you money and they wouldn't pay, you could take them to court and sue them for literally the very shirt off of their back. But here's the thing you couldn't do. Old Testament law prescribed that you could sue someone for the shirt, but you were not allowed to sue someone for their coat. Because a coat could be used as a blanket and it would be inhumane to leave someone without some way to stay warm at night. Jesus says, if someone sues you for their shirt, your shirt, which they are allowed to do, you shall give them that thing that they're not allowed to sue you for. Your coat. Give them what they cannot take away. And it goes there one more. If anyone compels you to go a mile, um, one translator, if anyone dragons you as a porter. You know the story here, right? Uh, ancient Roman soldiers um, were occupying uh, Israel. They could, by, um, by force of law, they could conscript any citizen. I mean, imagine that you were just walking down the street and there was a soldier. And that soldier grabbed you and said, here, you carry my pack. And that pack could weigh 100 pounds. And you would have to carry it for one mile. They could only compel you to go one mile. And here's what Jesus says. When that happens, don't resist. Don't fight back. Instead, do what? Carry it a second mile. They cannot compel you to do that. You do that willingly from your own decision. And you might say to yourself, this is madness. This is absurd. You cannot live like this. This cannot go on. How are you ever supposed to get back? How are you ever supposed to deter malevolence? I mean, how do you, how do you make... A world better if you just let the stuff go on. Well, you know the answer, don't you? Verse 43, you have heard of us said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Love your enemy. Love them. Do not forget, this was spoken to people, Jewish people, living in a land occupied by a foreign army. A Roman army. People, I mean, we can't even really understand that. I tried to think, what would be, I mean, try to think about being Polish in the 1930s. Being French in France in the 1930s and 40s. When you have Nazi occupation. Try to think what it would have been like to be in the Philippines with the Japanese are occupying. I mean, this is what it's like. We, we have Jesus speaking people who are living in an occupied land. Love my neighbor who wants to sue me for the shirt off my back? Well, maybe. Maybe I can get there. And after all, we're probably distantly related. But love these Roman swine who are, who are disrespecting our people, mocking our religion, treating us like, like we're slaves to them? Love them? Love this people? Hey, you know what? Anybody can love grandma, right? Anybody can love grandma. You can love your nieces and nephews, cousins, even that rotten cousin that nobody wanted to play with. If you don't know who that rotten cousin is that nobody wanted to play with, <laughs> yeah, I got news for you. Anyway, um, anybody can love, even that person. Ogres love little ogre nieces and nephews. Jesus says, you are to be different. You are to be people who love like God loves. Who instead of learning to fight against, learn to fight for. Instead of ones who try to get revenge, those who seek restoration. 
Instead of those who try to, um, to get even, be like those who try to restore. Uh, the, um, the novel um, Les Miserables by Victor Hugo um, was, has been done in film many times. and There's a great version that, uh, produced in 1998. Um, Liam Neeson is a, stars in it. Fantastic version of, of Les Mis. Anyway, in the one scene, there is a, uh, Jean Valjean. He, he seeks shelter in the home of a bishop at night. And they allow him to stay. And in the middle of the night, he gets up and he steals some silverware throws it in his knapsack and sneaks out the door. The maid the next day is going through silver to get ready for a meal and she discovers the missing silverware and she's aghast, you know, he's stolen our silverware. And the bishop is saying, forget about it, let's just go on. And, and later that day, he's out working in the garden. The maid's out there too. She's still lamenting the lost silverware. She has the box open and she's like looking at it, like here, there, there's right one over here. The bishop's saying, stop, forget it. And then police show up. Three policemen bring in Jean Valjean and he's in cuffs. They have his back. The bishop looks up and says, Oh, I'm glad you brought him back. Jean Valjean, I'm very angry with you. And the police officer says, Look, we found this on him, all this silver in there. He says you gave it to him. And the bishop says, He's right. Of course I gave it to him. He said, But what about the candlesticks? Jean Valjean, you forgot the candlesticks. <laughs> And he sends the maid, go get the candlesticks. And she looks at him like, you must be insane. You must be mad. And, and yet she does what she's told. She goes and gets the candlesticks and, and the bishop shoves them in the bag. And he says, these must be worth 2,000 francs at least. How could you leave them? And then he tells the maid, oh, these policemen must be thirsty. Go get them some wine. And the policemen release Jean Valjean and they go in the house to get wine. And it's just the bishop and Jean Valjean. And he leans real close to him and he says... With this silver, I set you free. You are free from fear and evil. And I have ransomed you. I have bought you back and I give you back to God. You know, maybe you look at this passage from Jesus and you say, you know, yeah, it's all good and well to do this in your personal life. We could never, you know, you could never govern a country like this. You know, you could never... You can never have, rule the world like this. I mean, we still need you know, judges and police officers and armies and all that sort of stuff. And maybe you're right. Maybe we do need courts and police officers and armies and all that stuff. But what about in our lives individually? What about in our personal lives, in the way that we follow this radical Jesus who says, you know what, I know how everybody else is doing things, and I am daring you to do something different. I mean, that really is a radical way to live. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.